economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Nate Johnson, the producer and graduate assistant for the Gortney Institute. Today on our show, we have Dr. Russell McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We also have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. And finally, Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gortney Professor of Economic Education and Research. Well, I think today we're going to talk about freedom, the vaccine rollout here. And there's lots of talk about vaccine passports that we have to prove ourselves up that we are pure and clean in terms of COVID. So Peter, what do you got to say about this? Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm sure the listeners have started to hear the news stories about vaccine passports and that the government's considering like various options for essentially certifying in a universal manner that people have had or not had COVID vaccines. And so there have been a lot of, you know, uh, as usual with anything with COVID, about, you know, half the country is in really support of this idea. And then you've got another sort of half of the country that for various reasons actually are opposing the idea. And so I think it'd be interesting to go through the reasons in opposition. I don't know where Justin and Russ stands necessarily off the, the get-go, but I am a believer that vaccine passports are a bad idea, both in theory and in practice. So that's my initial take on vaccine passports. I am firmly against vaccine passports. I will say that I think that the political capital to do a vaccine passport at a federal level is not there, and I don't think we'll see it happen. And I think we've actually heard some noise about this from Jen Psaki, I never noticed her name, Biden's White House chief. I think she has said that they're not going to do it at a, or that they're not considering doing doing it at a federal level. But I think you are seeing states, different states try to roll this out. So New York, I think is one, they have their Excelsior program, which is, so it's it seems like it's being done at the state level rather than the federal level right now. I, I could be wrong about that, but yeah, I oppose it at the state level. Too. I'm glad you clarified that because I've heard mixed news on that. I've heard both that it is being considered by the Biden administration and I've heard that it's not being considered. And I haven't taken the time to go and figure out which of those statements is the most recent or anything like that. So, so probably not a big surprise. I'm against them as well. So I, I think we need to probably start off by trying to pull out the perceived benefits of doing something like this to get to try to develop a little bit of a counter since we're all three against it. But let me just say a couple things off the gate uh, off for the start. I kind of this kind of reminds me of like stop and frisk laws or being able to, let's say in Phoenix, check people's ID on the spot because they look Hispanic or something. And I was like, in America, no American should be stopped just because the government can do it to check to see if they're valid or not. I think that's a underpinning of our ideas of freedom that we should be able to walk around and basically not be harassed by some government official, whether that's because of the color of our skin or because of our health status or whatever the case is. I think we should have that ability. And I think this runs counter to that. Yeah. And so I do want to clarify, I just double checked. And so uh, two days ago, the, basically the, the troops sort of rallied. And so Fauci and Saki and maybe even Biden himself all came together and said, we won't have this required on a federal level. You know, with, with government, you, you can always be skeptical. And so I'm not so sure. 
And so there's multiple questions here. The first is, should we have a COVID passport that is required for everyone to have and you have to be able to show it to get into a lot of different places? That's the first question. Another question is, could we have this federally created vaccine passport that the federal government doesn't require anybody to to use anything for, but businesses or state governments can have something to do with? And then the third sort of solution that's been proposed is a state by state, as Justin is mentioning, is that you could maybe have a state by state vaccine passport. And I agree with Russ. I think basically all of these three things are a, a different form of the stop and frisk sort of deal, where there's uh, some sort of presumption that you're guilty of committing a crime before there's any evidence that you've committed a crime. But I, I guess, like Russ said, I think the proposed benefits would be a good idea. So as an economist, I think the strongest case in favor of this is that if you have coronavirus, you can spread coronavirus to someone else who, because of health reasons, can't get the vaccine. And so there are some people who can't have vaccines because of pre-existing conditions. And so they would like maybe to get the coronavirus vaccine, but they can't. And if you are someone who refuses to get the coronavirus vaccine and you come into contact with that person, it's essentially your fault or your responsibility for them getting the coronavirus from you. And so the idea of the vaccine passport is to limit the chances that you're going to be able to do that as someone who's essentially polluting. That's what you can think of it as yeah. someone who's polluting the world. So that's the strongest argument in favor of vaccine passports, I believe. Yeah. Justin, what's your thoughts on that? Is it, is there any sort of ethical or moral backing to that, that we might spread unknowingly to somebody who wanted to get the vaccine, but couldn't get the vaccine? Because we're not, in some ways, we're, there's no law about being sick, so to speak, like if you're carrying the virus around, right? Right. So now all of a sudden we're just implementing this vaccine restriction. Yeah, I mean, look, it is an ethical problem that people who may be sick can infect other people and could harm them, right? But my, I mean, I worry that it's also a big ethical problem to set up, essentially to set up the skeleton of a tyrannical state for the benefit of these cases, which Peter mentioned, which... I think are few in number. Very few, right? I would guess just from the data I've looked at. Had the coronavirus <laughs> been even as dangerous as the 1918 flu, two people below 70, right? But it's a survival rate for people who get coronavirus if you're under 20, it's something like 99.999%. Yeah, it's like um, crazy. Then I think you would find people more receptive to this idea of a vaccine passport. But I think that the harms from erecting this passport structure vastly outweigh the benefits. Well, we do lots of things where we take a, we have a percentage chance of hurting somebody, right? I mean, we do it every day when we jump in our car, had we walked, we would have lowered the probability of hurting somebody compared to jumping in our car. So how is this different that we have some probability of passing this to somebody I suspect a car accident is more probable than running into somebody who couldn't get the vaccine, even though they wanted it. Well, let me play devil's advocate here, though, to both of you. Russ, we do acknowledge that people have a risk of getting an accident, and that's why we make them get driver's license. And so they have to take a test. They sometimes have to read some stuff, and they have to learn how to be good drivers before we allow them on the road. And they have to carry that license with them. And that's a (laughs) registration program. It's you have to use it for a bunch of stuff now, not just, you know, if you want to fly on a plane, you need your driver's license. And so it's kind of expanded out. And to Justin, 
We already do have vaccine passports, right? They're called passports. If you want to go to other countries, a lot of them required you to have certain vaccines. When I went to Togo, I had to have something for yellow fever as, in order to get my visa there. So what, what's the big deal? I don't want to do it. No, I think it comes down to the probability is still there. Driver's license helps lower that probability that you've gotten some sort of training or whatever. And so I think I'd still hold tight to my argument that the chance of finding that one person who didn't have the vaccine, the chance that I actually am infected, you know, we're just getting into 0.0000000000001 as near as I can tell in terms of probability of this happening compared to the trade-offs with the freedom, which maybe Justin wants to jump in on or... Yeah, I agree with you that passports do currently serve as kind of vaccine passports in a lot of cases, but that is when you're crossing international borders, right? Um, and what this is uh, talking about is for implementing to be able to, you know, enter coals or whatever. And I think that, like Russ was saying earlier, to the extent that America is supposed to be free, you know, we should fight tooth and nail against every single encroachment because your freedoms are being slowly eroded away. And, and yeah, um, it is an encroachment of your freedom to have to get the yellow fever vaccine when you go to Togo or whatever, right? You can lobby the Toganese, Toganese <laughs> government. Togolese. Togolese oh. uh, government to restrict that or to uh, stop that practice if you want. Fight for your um, rights. You know, I, I actually, you know, I have the vaccine, right? So I've been, I am firmly against the vaccine passport, even though I actually have at least the first stage of the vaccine. Again, I think this is a program which once implemented will be used for a bunch of other things too. Yeah. And so I'm against it in principle. And I think like Peter said earlier, both in theory and in practice, not only do I not think that they could roll this out effectively, but I'm against it in principle. Yeah, I think uh, one parallel that we can draw is uh, there was an, an economist named Pagu who generated this idea of the Paguvian tax. The Paguvian tax was the idea that if, for example, some company is polluting, what we can do is we can tax them the amounts that, the, uh, that they're polluting and redistribute those taxes to the people being harmed. And we can bring sort of back to an, uh, some sort of optimal level of uh, pollution and, st and stop them from polluting too much because they're not bearing the cost of polluting. They, they're creating an externality. So we have to tax them to minimize that externality and set it back to an economically efficient level, we can say. And so like a vaccine passport maybe is the same sort of attempt to do a Pagubian tax. But I agree with Justin. And, and here's where I, I think it falls apart. It falls apart on two levels. There are plenty of, Russ mentioned driving, but even just health-based externalities that we can put out every year. You know, if you get the flu and you're a carrier and you're walking around, you could be infecting people with the flu. It's not something we like to think about, but probably a lot of people in the world have given someone the flu that's led to someone who is maybe old or immunocompromised getting the flu who's died. Like that's probably like a reasonable suspicion. It's like, you know, maybe one out of a hundred people has been linked to someone getting the flu eventually who dies from it. And so my first thought is like, can we really live in a society where we treat all those people as responsible for that? 
And like, what other provisions could we do? I mean, we could have mandatory hand sanitizing stations outside every, every building, right? And a little camera on the hand sanitizing station that takes a picture. Well, that could be a Pacuvian tax too, right? Or maybe we could actually have a tax. Every time you go outside, we tax you a little bit because you could be polluting every time you go outside. The point is there's like a million different little things that you could do to curb this externality. But the it's like questionable. We, we start to raise our eyebrows when we realize like, well, 99.9% .9 chance. And, you know, well, then we look at the elderly population who's more likely to die, but how many of them are immunocompromised and can't get the vaccine in the first place? I mean, we're, we're talking about probably, I'd say like less than a percent of the population who could be negatively affected by coronavirus who can't themselves get the vaccine. And it's not that those people don't matter, but the question is like, how much do we have to spend to and take away from other social programs in order to protect those people? Uh, that's the ultimate question is what's the trade-off? So there's that practical question. And the second question, which I think Justin already covered well, is the other problem with the Pacuvian tax is it assumes that government actually cares about imposing a Pacuvian tax and bringing us to the right level of pollution <laughs> instead of government wanting to have control over our lives, which I think is a much more accurate assessment of what agents and government want rather than being like concerned about well-being. And so I think there's those two major problems that in practice, there's a million different ways we could do this. But for some reason, we haven't before with all of the health considerations that we've had. And the other thing is, I don't trust that, you know, we have these benevolent political agents who want to provide the perfect uh, social distancing policies. One thing that this discussion reminded me of is in business ethics, we were just going over the concept of, you know, liability in business. And I think that this kind of mm. relates to the amount of risk and liability and legal liability that we want to have in society. And what you're talking about with, you know, some people have uh, probably given somebody who's immunocompromised the flu. It's like, well, where do we want to, where do we want liability to lie? And in America, the onus for your health, you know, you have that liability, right? Liability is very, very limited. And I think that the record shows that when we have legal liability limited and people are free to act and make their own risk assessments, generally things work out a little bit better rather than having an individual be very strictly liable for almost everything, every effect that their action has. So limiting liability seems like a, a good idea to me. Yeah, it definitely encourages trade and that brings prosperity and higher incomes, healthier and wealthier and, and the prosperity that we've come to take for granted. Well, that looks like a couple interesting things to bring into the second half. And I wanted to bring up the slippery slope concept. I think we could sit here and imagine if we allow the vaccine passport thing, what would be the next thing down the line? And that's been brought up, I think, Justin, you know, what would be what would this lead to? So we'll, we'll uh, noodle that a little bit more after the break. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you use iTunes, please consider giving us a five-star review. It helps other people find us. We'd like to do a mailbag episode, so please send your questions to info at gortneyinstitute.org. Gortney Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom and justice and its impact on human flourishing, faith and economics in action. Uh, we have some student groups uh, together. Uh, one we're wrapping up today, our last pizza luncheon, talking about urbit and uh, freedom of identity uh, on the internet and some other fun student things that we do in regard to justice and economic freedom. If you or somebody else, you know, is looking for a college like that, contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. Don't forget to check our show notes for this episode at podcast.123povertysucks.org. 
Okay, so we're back here talking about the possibility of vaccine passports or other variations of that. Justin, you had another scenario you wanted to run by us? Yeah, so it seems like, you know, we're in agreement that, and correct me if I'm wrong, it doesn't matter if we're not, but that we're all in agreement that a state-mandated vaccine passport is a bad idea, and we don't want that implemented. But there's another option that I can see arising, which is something like, well, what if a private company decides that they will are willing to certify people as vaccinated and provide them with a vaccine passport or essentially proof that they've been vaccinated. Then any other private company could require you to show this private, privately obtained vaccine passport. And so that is a kind of market-based solution to this private or to this vaccine passport problem. And I, I have a lot of worries about this as well. And so, and I think it can actually pose some problems for somebody like me who ideologically, you know, thinks markets do provide better solutions than the state because, well, I'll just throw this out to you over to you guys and see what you think about it. Cause I have some very big reservations about this. I don't have many, maybe even any reservations on it. If it was all market driven completely. So I'm imagining a company, hey, we can have this verification process and that'll allow you to, to show it off to your friends and family and maybe some businesses will want to pick it up too. And great, let's go do it. They do their homework, see if it's valid or not and try to, you know, the company would have to establish some sort of reputation that they're, you know, telling the truth and all of that. But on the other side, you'd have to have private companies that would then require that or want to see some form of that as long as there was competition among other validation companies, you'd have a fairly, you'd drive that down to the, you know, fair price equal to the cost that there'd be some sort of normal profit being made. But I think the companies themselves wouldn't want to do it because of the fractions I mentioned earlier. It's like, what's the percentage chance that you're going to actually pass this thing? Well, 0.000001%. Oh, well, I'm going to aggravate my customer base by having them show this passport thing to come into my company. Meanwhile, my competitors aren't doing that. I'm losing all my business. I'm not going to do it. So I think the, my point is that I, I don't have any problem with that without the government being involved, because if there was a real issue with passing the vaccine and the preferences of customers and, and our population was such that that was an important issue, then that would naturally arise on its own. And it would be an, it would be a competitive advantage for the company that required the validation to come shop at their store. I don't think it's going to happen anyway. So, so I, I don't think I'm against that at all. In our particular case, I'm pretty against it. And I, I think that one thing that free market economists, I don't think Russ is doing this here because he was just proposing more of a hypothetical at the end there. But I think one problem that free market economists have tended to make over time is to say that just because the free market does something that I have to like it rather than I just have to be okay with it. And so I am not saying that I would try to pass laws to stop companies from doing this or that I would use some sort of like force in order to prevent them. But I dislike the idea of private companies doing this for the, the specific reason that I think that, again, the, the segment of the population who can't get the coronavirus vaccine, who's over the age where coronavirus is something that could even be possibly harmful to them is very, very small. And I think companies making people basically register in a system that could at some point be sold off to government agencies or compiled or hacked or whatever it is with people's personal information, 
I don't like the idea of this. I, I think that it's more does more harm than good. And I also doubt that companies uh, like Russ, I doubt companies in this particular case are going to do it by their own volition. So if they do, I'm suspicious of the fact that they're doing it to avoid legislation and things like that. I think the world is a lot harder to classify as private or government anymore. I think a lot of private agencies really are pseudo private and most of their actions are surrounding, you know, how do I best protect the government rents that I've captured over the years? Mm -hmm. And so to me, if Walmart came out tomorrow and said, hey, we're going to have a Walmart vaccine passport to come in, that's almost as much from the government as if the government did it, in my view, because if, if Walmart were doing that, I honestly have the belief that it's because they're afraid of litigation from the government or they want to be able to go to Congress and say, hey, look what we did. Can you give us a $10 trillion health subsidy because we're helping out so much, guys? I just don't believe that this would happen in the free market with coronavirus. Again, if it were more a much more serious illness, I could see this being a good response. But the, the fact that it, its death rate is like barely lower than the flu and only once you're uh, a little bit older, I just find it unlikely that this would be some sort of efficient response that the market's coming to on its own. So I think I disagree with both of you a little bit. My worry is that I think more people are crazy than either of you do. I think. <laughs> uh, and I think we all agree that markets efficiently are efficient at satisfying demand. And my worry is that the general population has been whipped into a frenzy where they, you know, where most people are sorry, enumerate and do not understand what risks are or how to balance them. So I can actually see the population really supporting something like this. And especially corporations who I have seen, you know, cut off their nose to spite their face recently in order to jump through hoops and seem like they are virtuous. I can easily see corporations getting on board with something like this. I agree that it's not a long-term good strategy, but that doesn't mean that I can't see it happening. So, you know, then there's the question. So if, if that's my position that I'm against the private uh, one too, well, I, I th actually think DeSantis has come out as saying something like he was going to ban vaccine passports in Florida. Now, I don't like that solution either, right? So my position is something like, well, markets are better than the state, but a market will produce a result that I don't like if I think that people, uh, that a lot of people are crazy. That Now, does government solve that? No, because who's running government? Well, those same people who are crazy, right? So uh, I don't know what, what solution for the, the problem that I've painted myself into, but I just know that I don't like it and I could see it happening. Yeah, I think the best solution is to actively inconvenience yourself in order to hurt companies who make that make decisions you don't like. I think that's how I actually agree with you, Justin. Uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of private companies are more responsive to uh, left wing is not exactly right, because actually a lot of left wing people have come out against vaccine passports as well due to worries about inequality of access to vaccines or, you know, historical injustices that have happened through you know, government, medical testing and things like that. And so, so maybe some people are worried. And so some consistent liberals are pointing out that this is really going to create a caste system that pr provides unfair advantage and corporations are going to be able to basically make a list of untouchables. And so I don't know if I'd say left wing, but some of the people more whipped into a frenzy, as you put it, of the coronavirus stuff, I think maybe they will cause private companies to create a solution like this. I, I think that is possible. But I, I think what needs to happen is like people like you and I, who aren't whipped up into a frenzy need to be more willing to take our business elsewhere. I think historically, 
I, I'm using the term conservatives loosely because I don't really consider myself to be that exactly, but historically conservatives have been worse at activism than people on the left. And what that looks like in practice is that conservatives continue to purchase from stores that violate their values because they want to keep politics out of their lives. That's part of being conservative is I want politics out of my life. And so they don't boycott in their day-to-day lives. So I think, honestly, I think what's going to have to happen is Justin, you and I, and other people who don't want companies to start taking on these values we dislike are going to have to actually like politicize part of our lives and start boycotting these companies that make these decisions. I think that's the only solution. And it's not a great solution also, because it's not like if you and I stop shopping tomorrow, Walmart's going to change their policy wildly. But, you know, that's what's led us to the situation we're in right now is that the other side of this issue has effectively like boycotted and, you know, put pressure and all these things. So, but I, I agree with you, the legal solution, I also don't love because giving government the right to decide what businesses can and can't check to me that's just another thing in the future that could be used to curb liberty so yeah you guys both made good points that i agree with we don't have a free market we're not starting from that base and it's over the past 40 to 60 years has continued to be more and more mixed if you will a mixed economy of uh government and, and private sector and so given that base we've got the political issues that you're talking about where big business has the ability to garner subsidies and gimmies and freebies from the government in different ways. And so they are catering to the politicians more than maybe catering to their customers. And especially if their customers are laying over, like Peter was suggesting, that they're just going to go about their business and not boycott anyway. So then there's no credible threat uh, from the customer base for that company to do something different either. And that's a sad thing for society when we can't have people's true preferences kind of come out because of the restrictions, because of the status quo of where we're at today. I think that this is a real, I would love to, and I mean this seriously, we need to remember this for like next week or future week. I think we need to have a big discussion about the people who call themselves the Burkean conservatives, who I think are big fans of DeSantis and his decision there. There's a big movement led by people like Rod Dreher of First Things and the American Conservative and a few other people associated with those two magazines of people who have said the problem with conservatives and their failure has been because they've had this religious support for free markets. And so Rod Dreher lays basically the problems of society at the feet of, you know, partly free markets. And we need to find a way to ex- explain to these people what Justin just said, which is that your solution of like, oh, you know, Rodriguez's worry is that companies are undermining family values. I think that's true a, a lot of the time. But his, his solution to that problem is that we need to have regulations that force companies to, you know, conform to family values. And I want a society where that's the case. And like, this drives me crazy because it's like, which, which, which institutions are more harmful to family right now? Universities, the governments, you know, the big public organizations, public schools, or Walmart. Like, to me, it's very clearly the more governments your institution is, the more anti-traditional family values it is. Whether or not you support traditional family values, by the way, that's just like a, a measurement of fact. And so it's insane to me that Dreer wants to do this thing of, well, I want to take power away from the companies because they're not doing what I want them to do and give it to the organizations who have started all of this cultural movement in the first place. I think this is insane. We need to have an honest conversation about COVID passports, but of all policy of how can we, as people who know that the free market is a better alternative than government control, 
how can we inspire change in markets so that way they don't undermine values that allow for a prosperous society? So this is, you mentioned, who did you mention, Rod Dreher? So right. this is yeah. similar to like what Patrick Deneen says too, right? Yes. And Yoram Hazoni. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that that is a great, a great topic that, that we should explore. You know, these people think that, that this tool is just not being used well, and right. that, you know, were I to wield the tool, it would, it would get better results. Yeah. 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 And, and that, I don't agree with a lot of Deneen's stuff. We were going to do that for a book club once. And it's interesting. It's provocative. I think it would be a good uh, podcast topic to go on. I, I think what I'm hearing you say is, uh, and I think I agree if we don't want to wield the tool, we ought to go to the root to the problem. And I'm, what I'm hearing is the root of the problem is really government, big business and big government playing kissy face. And now the Biden administration wants to do that even more deeply. Well, right? it's, it's one more thing. And, and I think Justin hit on this. Justin pointed out that in this is true in capitalism, you have consumer sovereignty. And I think what Justin was saying is that, that some of the consumers have stupid ideas now. And this can cause problems. And I think this is true. It's like the downside of consumer sovereignty is if the consumer, yeah, we we have underlying everything, a cultural problem. And by the way, this is another bad thing that Dreer and these other people who Justin mentioned do is they say, oh, well, the economy is a tool that's supposed to serve society. We're not supposed to be the servant of the economy. This is a backwards metaphor because the economy isn't a tool at all. The economy is a reflection of what people in society value and what they act on in their values. It it is us, literally. It's not this tool. It's not this abstract thing. We can't wield it. It's just a like visible manifestation of our decisions and what we value. And how we engage. And once you recognize that, you realize, oh, I can't wield the economy. In fact, if I want to change things in the economy, I have to change the entire culture. I have to change what the consumer values. And so like, you know, a a non-controversial Christian position is like things like pornography are immoral and we don't want a society where there's like pornography and prostitution. Now, libertarian might say, well, you know, those things should be legal. Different question. Like the standard Christian, like, you know, mainline Christian would say we shouldn't have things like prostitution. So the answer is maybe not banning prostitution, which has typically been the response by Christians is passing the law. But maybe we actually need to try to change the culture so people don't want that in the first place. And I think that applies to this, the COVID, COVID passports. And I, I think we should, this is a conversation we need to have. Which is much more difficult than, yes. than convincing a politician to change the law to force people to act that way. Yes, right? exactly. <laughs> so that Peter in an earlier podcast said that, you know, what we need to do is change the culture. And I think that's, that's right. Yeah. And Russ, no, I've come to that conclusion. Russ also said, well, that's really hard. And yeah. that's right too. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's really hard, but it's the, it has to be the only thing that, yeah, that yeah. would work. And, and that culture is de- dealing with tolerance and, you know, freedom. And that's part of what the Wharton Institute is trying to do is to get some of these things to help maybe change some of our students that come through out of university, then they have kids and maybe their outlook is a little different than what it would have been. Otherwise we'd like to hopefully think that we're putting a little small debt yeah. in, in culture that way. So I mean, one of the things that like a lot of the people that, Peter mentioned or that we've talked about, and they're usually fans of somebody like Breitbart, right? And mm-hmm. what, which is crazy because Breitbart's whole thing was politics is downstream from culture, right? Exactly. So you're not going to change culture by changing politics. Uh, that's not the, yeah. the effective way to do it. Right. It's the, the mechanism works the other way. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, any other last thoughts? <laughs> Looks like a good place to wrap and maybe we'll bring up some of these other issues uh, 
in a future podcast here shortly. So I'd like to thank you all for listening to the Gorton Institute's production here of Faith and Economics. Uh, we appreciate you all listening and passing the word along to other people that might enjoy the types of things we talk about. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.